and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for this Reformation Sunday will be taken from the reading in the book of Romans. You may be seated. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Merciful Father, we give you thanks this day that by your grace alone you have gathered us here to hear your word and worship and to receive the gifts that you have prepared for us. We ask you this day, O Lord, to be with us, to help us to hear your word in faith and to know the truth that we are saved solely by the work of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a kid, I had this short stint of really getting into uh, model cars. You're, you ever seen these? You, you go to the store and they got these model cars that are plastic and you put them together and, and you get to keep this little car on your shelf and I would love this. I would go to the store and I would look there on the shelf and I would see something like a, like a, like a ruby red 1966 Ford Mustang and I would see that thing in the box and I would say, I want that car. I want that thing on my shelf. I'm going to build it. So I'd save up my money. I'd buy the car and I'd take it home. And the idea was this. Sit down for a few hours, take the parts out of the box, glue it all together, and then you have this beautiful, perfect car. This is what I was going to do. And so, uh, instead of four hours later, it would usually be something like four days later. And instead of having this beautiful, perfect car that I saw in the box, I would have a pile of goopy, dried up uh, plastic and glue sitting there that looked like a piece of junk compared to what was on the cover of the box. And here's what happened. I would open the box, I would follow the instructions, I would do everything I was supposed to do except for this. It turns out I got really fat fingers, you see. And I couldn't get the stuff to stay together. And on the box, you have this beautiful little mirror that just sticks on the side. And on mine, you have this mirror that's like shoved into a pile of glue. And I would get mad and I would throw it across the room and maybe punch it and smash it. But see, here's the thing. Like, I couldn't figure it out. No matter how hard I worked, no matter how hard I tried to follow the instructions, I couldn't do it. My fingers were too fat and my patience was too thin. If I was ever going to have this model car, if I was ever going to have this, this thing that looked so beautiful on the box, someone would have to build it for me and give it to me as a present because I couldn't do it. And I would look at that box and that box would just scowl and mock at me and laugh at me and say, you'll never have me. It just drove me nuts. So that was a very short period in my life because <laughs> I couldn't build those toys. Well, I actually think this is kind of what St. Paul is getting at today when we come to our reading from Romans. Only he's not talking about model cars. He's talking about our righteousness before God or how someone can be declared righteous or just in the presence of a holy God. How can you and I as sinful people have a right relationship with God? That's the question driving Paul today as we come to Romans chapter 3. And this question of righteousness before God is not just a question that Paul himself was dealing with, but it's a question that many of us here, I'm sure, have dealt with. And it's certainly been a question that has uh, been in the church for roughly 2,000 years. Now, today is Reformation Sunday. And this is a point in the church where we are celebrating and remembering those saints in the 16th century who fought like crazy to get the preaching of the gospel restored into the church of God. And that whole sort of pivotal moment in the history of the church was instigated by a monk named Martin Luther who was struggling with this very question. How can a sinful person ever be declared righteous in the eyes of God? How can a sinner ever be justified before the throne of God? 
Now, this is the question that bothered him, and, and though I will hear very often these days that we don't struggle with this sort of question anymore, I, I tend to think that's not true. I tend to think that many of us still battle with this question of justification. Though sort of culturally speaking, I don't know if any of us are as worried about justification before God anymore. Everyone just kind of assumes that God is on their side, like Bob Dylan once sang. Everyone assumes that God is sort of favorable towards us, and now it's our job to justify ourselves to the rest of the world. And, and we ask the question of justification towards everybody around us. We live in a battle with the rest of the world trying to prove that our views are the right views, our ideas are the right ideas, my decisions have the best motives, and my heart is always in the right place. Everybody, I think, in this world is on some type of justification mission to prove ourselves righteous to the rest of the world. And we think we can do it. We actually believe we can achieve this righteousness. We just need to have the right instructions. If you don't think I'm right about this, just head on down to Barnes & Noble after church day and go to the self-help section. And there you will find any number of books on self-help, 12-step programs, and life strategies that are sort of supposed to be instructions that you can follow to achieve righteousness in this life. Now, you might think these things work, except they keep getting written. You know why? Because the last book didn't work. So you need to get another book. You need to get more steps. The 12 steps need to become 24 steps, and so on and so forth. We all think there are some set of instructions we can follow to achieve righteousness. And if we just follow them the right way, we will have that model car on the cover of the box. And this is the sort of thinking that really was oppressing Martin Luther, because he brought this sort of thinking into his relationship with God. And he believed that it was up to him to follow the instructions in order to achieve righteousness. He needed to look like the guy on the cover of the box if God was ever going to be pleased with him. Here was the problem for Luther. Do you know who the guy on the box cover was? Jesus. And he was convinced that he had to follow the law like Jesus if he was ever going to be righteous before God. He needed to look more, love more, act more, and sacrifice more like Jesus. And it was this road of obedience to the law that he thought if he walked perfectly, then when he entered the pearly gates, God would be pleased with him. Now, to be sure, God had done his part. He'd opened the path for sinners to walk. He'd let the ladder down from heaven for sinners to climb. He had given them the instructions, that is the law, to follow for them to uh, achieve this righteousness. And now it was just up to sinners to do it. Follow the instructions, and you will have the car on the cover of the box. That was the idea. We'll call this way of thinking the way of the law. And Paul says this, if you want to follow the way of the law, then you need to understand something about the way of the law. This is what he says in Romans 2. In the way of the law, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Those who follow the instructions perfectly, they're the ones who get to build the car. Laws, rules, and instructions will give you the tools necessary to build for yourself the righteous life. But what Luther discovered, and what any of us will discover if we try and actually follow this way of the law to achieve righteousness, is that we've got a problem. We have fat fingers and thin patience. <laughs> We're full of sin. Our sin gets in the way. And suddenly the instructions we're supposed to follow to make us righteous before God do the exact opposite. They expose our unrighteousness. The car on the cover of the box mocks us and laughs at us because we cannot achieve that which is promised. 
The law shows that you are not righteous. It shows that you, in fact, are a sinner. And what you start to realize in this whole self-justification project that you are taking part in is that these self-justification projects are just attempts of ours to cover up the sin that is in our own lives. Because we have this sort of deep spiritual, in a deep spiritual psychological way, we are terrified to know the truth about ourselves. By nature and by choice, deep down, we are full of sin. That we do not live the way God wants us to do, uh, wants us to live. And that no matter how hard we work on Facebook to prove to everybody that we have it all together, we just don't. Good heavens, what would happen if we actually knew the truth about us? Can you imagine this? What if we knew what you have done? What if we knew what you were thinking? What if we knew what went on all those years ago? What if we knew what you were doing when the lights are off and the doors are closed? What if we knew it would ruin you? It would ruin you in our eyes. Now think about this. What would happen if God knew? What would happen if God found out all of the deep, dark things you're trying to hide? What if God knew what was going on in your mind and in your heart and with your hands and with your words? What if God knew? your justification would be lost because it's doers of the law who are righteous before God in the way of the law and not the hearers only. And what the law does is it comes along and it says this to you. <laughs> God knows. He does know. And this is the terrifying thing about the way of the law. It, it just matters just get worse for us. Because we begin to realize the law of the box cover was not given as instructions we were supposed to follow to achieve righteousness before God, but God gave the law actually for the exact opposite reason. To expose your sin. God gave the law so he could say to you, I know what you've done. I found you out. You are caught in the act. You're busted. You are the sinner. And you deserve nothing from me. So Paul writes, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable before God. Boy, if that verse doesn't keep you up at night, nothing will, that the whole world, that includes you, will be held count accountable before God. For by works of the law, following the instructions, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. There is no righteousness before God under the law for you. All the law does is expose your sinful, unrighteousness, messed up model of a car life for what it is. And if all we had was life under the law, it would be utterly hopeless. That when we stood before God on the day of judgment on the basis of the law, you and I will have earned for ourselves nothing but hell and death. If all we have is the way of the law, it is hopeless for us. But Paul has more to say. And what he has to say is the greatest news you will ever hear, especially if you've been trying to live this life of self-justification. You know, this news he has to give to us is really quite something because actually what it ends up doing in a certain sense is it ends up ruining all of our self-justification projects. It ruins any kind of institution that comes along and seeks to establish justification by works. And it ruins everything that we put in the place of Christ. 
This good news that Paul has for us is what he calls a righteousness apart from the law. Apart from the law. This is what he says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, the greatest and ever, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is a a, a sacrifice of atonement by his blood to be received not by works, not by law, not by obedience, not by keeping to the instructions, to be received by faith. A righteousness apart from the law. A righteousness, a justification, a right relationship with God that is neither earned nor deserved, but given freely as a gift of grace alone. It's interesting, Luther was not wrong to think that he needed to have uh, uh, Christ's righteousness in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Where he was wrong until he discovered the gospel was how that righteousness was to be achieved. It wasn't something that we were to work for, it was something that God chose in his mercy and his grace by virtue of Christ's death to give. That righteousness is yours as a gift of grace. I heard someone say it this way recently, and I thought this was kind of a beautiful way of thinking about it. That that if you were to see yourself through the eyes of God, if you were to see yourself and look at yourself the way God looks at you, you would hardly recognize yourself because you would look so much like Jesus. Because you have been covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as a gift. You have not earned it, you have not deserved it, but God, by his grace, has given it. It's received, not earned. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. His life was lived perfectly, and he gave you all the credit for it. Your sins were committed directly against him and his father, and he took all the blame for it. The wrath you deserve from God, the hell we have earned, Jesus suffered on the cross in your place when he died for you. And then he rose again on the third day so he might tell you, you are forgiven. Mark's black dots are removed, you see. And there are no spots left on you, for you have been washed and cleaned in your baptism in the blood of Christ. That perfect life in eternity, that perfect life even now that we work so vainly for, Jesus rose again to just give it to you for free. This is wonderful, because here's the reality. You and I, we can't build the model on the box. So Jesus chose to give it to you. You can't be perfect and righteous according to the demands of the law, so Jesus has done it for you, for you, in your place. You are justified and you are righteous, not by works of the law, not by your performance, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And because of his death, because of his resurrection, because now he is reigning over us as a merciful Lord, I can stand here today and declare to you this good news. You are righteous in the eyes of God. 
through Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the righteousness that you have given to us as a gift. Lord, we work so hard in this life to prove ourselves to the world, uh, to be judged righteous in the eyes of the world, when at the end of the day, the only judgment that matters to us is yours. And you have declared us loved. You have declared us forgiven. You have declared us just because Jesus Christ has died for us. Grant us grace, O Lord, to trust this promise and to live by faith. In his name we pray. Amen.